We have all had painful events in our lives that can lead to depression, anxiety, addiction, or broken relationships. But here's a secret. It is not about what happened to us that causes suffering. It's the stories we believe about ourselves. Join us as we shine light on how to rewrite our stories, avoid the shadows of shame, and travel along the pathway to joy, love, and connection. It's the Finding Peace Podcast with your host, Amazon best-selling author, Troy L. Love. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Finding Peace Podcast. Uh, I'm Troy Love, and I'm really excited that you're joining me today. This is going to be a little bit of a different format of a podcast because I have a special guest with me today, Matt Wheeler, who is one of my best friends in the entire world. He's an amazing therapist up in Phoenix, Arizona, and he has been willing to sit with me today and and talk with me a little bit about connection and why connection is so important for finding peace. Well, hi, Matt. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Thanks, Troy. You're welcome. So you know, is there anything in specific that you want to tell us about you? I'm, I'm going to have your bio in the show notes so people can get a link to you and and we'll get to a little bit know a little bit more about you. You're a licensed professional counselor in, at Family Strategies. Is that correct? That is correct. I mean, I guess from a from a professional standpoint, I did my concentration in school on trauma, abuse, and deprivation. Understanding trauma and how it affects individuals has always been very important to me as a clinician. It's really what I uh, wanted to do for my work, and it's what I do. Um, I've also have some advanced training in emotionally focused couples therapy. Uh, so I've spent some time doing uh, some of the training for for that, which uh, is all around attachment work. Uh, but what I've found is that so much of what I've learned is also it's really all about any relationship, not just couples, families, friendships. And so that's been very impactful on what I do as well. Awesome. And you do it amazingly well. You and I have facilitated a couple of Hold Me Tight classes um, before, and it was so fun to do that yes, with you. It, yes, it was. It is a lot of fun. I really enjoy doing it, uh, even though I think at times uh, it, I, I will watch you present, and I'm like, oh, Troy's such a good presenter. And like, you know, but it, it's a lot of fun to uh, to to present and teach uh, and teaching alongside of you, of course, is fun. Oh, well, thank you. You're amazing. So we're going to talk to the part where like I boost you up and you. Oh, and then I boost you. Oh, we do. I missed that cue. Dang it. I missed it. No, I think you followed it quite well. I imagine everybody listening to this right now is probably thinking, oh, they're boosting each other up. I love you. I love you. <laughs> You're awesome. Love you, brother. Okay, uh, so we're going to talk today about connection, and you and I both know how important connection is in um, finding peace, being grounded, finding joy in our lives. But can you tell us a little bit about your journey, your story, and how you came to understand that connection was so important? Yeah, um, so it's interesting because oftentimes – uh, this is one area where I think sometimes early on, I took for granted that 
everyone knew how to do connection. And I, part of the reason for that is when I was a kid, so just to tell you a little bit about my family dynamics, um, well, I'm trying to figure out how much to tell, right? So I grew up in a family where there was um, physical, emotional, sexual abuse. And besides like that, all that trauma, the, uh, the major pieces of it was, was done essentially when I was roughly seven years old and my father was removed from the home. And obviously there was tons of healing that had to go on as a result of that. And there was, you know, life was still rough, but all of my siblings were anywhere from 13 months to about 22 months apart. Uh, and so the, and you kind of, the way I've always seen it is they're all about two years apart, whether it's in mm -hmm. school or whatever else. And then I'm three and a half years, uh, from the next one. Right. Mm -hmm. And so. It, it is a, also a funny dynamic because it's boy, girl, boy, girl, and then boy, right? And I'm, I'm the caboose. Mm -hmm. And growing up, lots of difficulty in the home and, and everybody's struggling and really just fighting to survive. But I always kind of felt like I was an outcast, right? Like my two older brothers uh, were much closer in age. My two sisters had each other. And like, I was just like, oh, I'm the fifth wheel, you know? Um, now that's, some of that is probably the story I told myself. Uh, but just that feeling of, I don't fit in, I don't belong. Everybody else is older. Everybody else felt like they were teenagers or adults. And I was just kind of straggling on my own. Mm -hmm. And growing up, I recognized that I wanted to belong. I just wanted to feel like I uh, you know, I know now that the phrase isn't technically very healthy, but I wanted to fit in. I wanted to belong. And so I spent a lot of time as a kid trying to figure out like, what is, what does it take to belong? Um, uh, so much so that to be honest, I'd go around at church and, um, uh, all the old ladies would tell my mom, like, he is the sweetest boy, you know, he's such <laughs> a nice because I'd go hug them all. Mm. And I and I'd get big old hugs from all these old ladies and, and because they were safe, right? Yeah. Old women are safe to hug, you know? Yeah. Um, and so uh, I, I, I just, I went around trying to find all the safe places to get connection. Uh, and I worked really hard at making friends and keeping friends. But honestly, I, I, I wonder sometimes if, when I look back on it, that I didn't really start clicking and learning how to do that until, you know, late elementary school, early junior high, and then life's just awkward around that time. Mm -hmm. But falling through junior high, I really started to connect and create a friend group and then also learn how to nurture friendships and relationships. And so that's kind of my just in a nutshell story on realizing how important connection was and how badly I needed it and just craved it. Well, and you've done a, a remarkable job of nurturing the friendship with me. You and I met at a retreat and um, I, we hit it off really well, I think. But after we came home, I, I didn't have um, hardly any connections, probably one and it wasn't that strong really 
So it was so scary for me to like, we talk on the phone and I find ways to like get off the phone <laughs> and I find ways to like, Oh, I, I gotta go that kind of stuff. Cause it was so scary for me. And you just, you wouldn't let up. Like you would keep calling me, <laughs> you'd keep uh, talking to me. And, and then you, you were vulnerable with an experience you had as a counselor that I was able to help with. And that just like, whew, like everything uh, re was released. And then we could just be, I could be real with you. So, so, so it almost took me showing you that I needed you yeah. for something for you to actually go, wait a second, there's something here. But what you remember was that I wouldn't let up. Yeah. But you, you kept calling me. You know, it's funny. I've actually had a lot of people in the course of my life kind of say that like, man, you don't give up on people or you don't give up on me. And, and I guess the way that I've always looked at it is I know I need connection. And so I'm going to go out and get it. And worst case, you're just going to shut me down until I'm finally like, okay, well, I'll just, I'll just keep, I'll get the connections I need from someone else. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I, there, there's that piece of me where I, I've been able to learn to get enough connection that if somebody rejects me, like it might be a little painful, but overall I'm like, oh, I'm good. I don't know what's going on in their life that they don't make need a connection with me, but that's okay. Yeah. Well, I'm, I remember you saying like, I have this list of uh, people on my phone. I think you have it. Um, and it's just, if I need a connection, I'd call someone and if they didn't answer the phone, then I'd go to the next person on the list and then I'd go to the next person and the next person. And, and I'm like, how many people do you go through before you give up? And you're like, I don't, I just keep going until somebody answers the phone. Well, like, it's so fun. You know and I can't, I don't know that I can take credit for this as far as like a specific number, but granted, I think I've always been, um, I've always recognized that need. And so even before I got into grad school or became a therapist, I would, I would just, I had people that I would continually just make phone calls to. When I became a clinician, I started, I learned from another therapist in my office and, and the number he had was, we need a list of 18 people. Mm -hmm. And I don't even know when I finally asked him, I was like, Hey, like, where does that come from clinically? And he was like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, well, no, like we, we teach people, they need this list of 18 people. Like, what is that about? And he says to me, no, one of my clients told me that that's what he, he really felt like was his magic number. And I was like, seriously? Like, this is totally like anecdotal <laughs> client, you know? And sure enough, I mean, it's what I've just kind of passed on to people. Yeah. So I talk about the list of 18, but I've actually created in my phone and I've, you know, Android phones do it one way, iPhones do it another way, but I've, I've created a list in my phone where uh, I can go into the groups and I've created a group that, that I call a support group a because it puts it at the top of my group list mm. and when I'm driving along and uh, maybe I'm heading to work or whatever I have a pair of Bluetooth headphones as well on me almost always because uh, when I'm driving to work or I have a moment I'm out walking my dog I'll often just give somebody a call hey how's it going what are you up to and just talking about random life. Um, and 
I remember one time specifically when I was in grad school, as difficult as grad school is on relationships and on, on marriage, I remember my wife and I had some dis- like disagreement, just real moment of not connecting. And I was really upset, like felt, I felt rejected and, but I had to get to school and work on a paper or whatever. And while I'm driving to school, I started calling that list. And I think I got to like the 14th or 15th person on my list before I got a live person on the phone. And I was leaving voicemails the whole way. Hey, just uh, I'm kind of in a rough place. Give me a call when you get a second. And so I start talking to person number 14 or 15, whatever it was. And next thing you know, person number three was calling me. Now, when I talk about person number three or person number four, what I do is I look at the list and I say, who do I feel like in this moment can most help me with whatever it is I have going on inside of me, right? So if I'm having uh, some sort of a disconnection with my wife, uh, I might look at that list and be like, okay, that buddy just got a divorce. I'm not calling him because he might be like, dude, women suck, you know? (laughs) So I look at the list and go, who's going to fulfill my need the most? And that's how I rank it. But it's really in that very moment. Or I might look at the list and go, who have I not talked to for a while that I, that I miss that I, that I just want some connection with. And so ultimately it took me about, um, I can't remember exactly how much time. I think I spent about an hour on the phone with various people before I finally felt peace with the disconnection that I had had with my wife. Now, had I been able to call my wife, like I don't think she was in a very good place. I wasn't in a very good place. I probably could have gotten at ease in less than 15 minutes, but I needed a a good solid hour of connection to bring peace into or bring at least my pain down. And, I, and sometimes I, I, I want to point this out. I, 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 I had a client the other night. I was actually in a group and my guys were kind of frustrated. They're like, look, I reach out and I don't feel peace. And, and as we started to explore it, what, what, they were, what they had said to me was when I'm reaching out, it doesn't take my pain away. And so I kind of chuckled and thought, oh, is that what you think peace is? Mm. Is that no longer have pain. Mm. And I said, what if peace is about pain becoming manageable Mm. or peace is about, um, almost like, wow, my pain decreased from a level 10 to a level two. Oh man, I feel a lot of peace compared to where I just was. Right. And anyway, it, what it took for me to get the, in the, when I was in that disagreement with my wife, was probably a good hour of connection before I felt enough peace that I could then move on, work on the grad school assignment that I had at the time, mm-hmm. and then move forward and later reconcile with my wife. But I, man, if I had tried to go back to her with a level 10 lo- uh, amount of pain, mm-hmm. likely we would have just created more disconnection between the two. Yeah. Got stuck in that spiral. That's part of why when, when I show the finding peace model and we have the yin and yang, um, of pain and peace and the yin and yang it's it it's the goal is to figure out how to find peace amid the pain in the pain because right. unfortunately we live in a world where there is going to be pain it's not a perfect world so there's a lot of pain so figuring out how to find that peace even though there is suffering so that was a beautiful example of that i love the list of 18 yeah uh 
when I went to that retreat with you, that's when I learned the list of 18. And I started to teach that list to my clients and like 18, yeah. 18, <laughs> I have like one or two. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. okay, well, let's, let's narrow it down. So at the Finding Peace Retreat, we talk about just the list of 12. Oh, how funny. 12. We just got 12. You just got to find 12 people. <clears throat> we can make a bigger list. So, yeah. Well, it, it's funny because when I look at my phone right now under the A support group, I mean, I, I think I probably have like 23, but like there's a couple of people on that list that I really only connect to probably a couple of times a year. Mm-hmm. But I know that when I call them and connect with them, it's a solid. Like I had a buddy of mine who years ago, we were quasi business partners. And the other day I was having a rough time around uh, this other business thing that I have going on. And and I called him and I hadn't talked to him. And I mean, if I could look, but three, four, five, six months probably. And, but yeah, he and I talked for a solid half hour and it was exactly what I needed. And, and he's on my list, not because we connect every week or every month even, but even a couple of times a year, because, you know, I know his schedule and he's busy as well, but it was, he's on my list because I know that if I need him, he's there. He knows if he needs me, I'll be there. Um, and so that list of 18 isn't like, man, I've got to upkeep these relationships, but it's, it's knowing who are your people that when you are in a rough place, you can reach out and connect to them. The other thing, cause you're right, man. When I teach people list of 18, sometimes people will tell me, well, now I feel hopeless Yeah, because I, I, I'm struggling to have one or two right. and I'll throw in there like, Hey, honestly, when I teach the list of 18, half of that list. So nine of those people. They don't know how. They don't have to know all of your shame stories. They don't need to know all your trauma. They don't need to know all. They don't even know need to know all your struggles. Like I have a guy. I have guys on that list or or people on the list who I'm like, hey, I need to go out for a good road ride tomorrow, and I don't want to get hit by a car, and it's safer if we've got a couple of us, and let's just go and chat and talk about whatever, mm-hmm. and like it's just good company. But they're on my list because I know that they'll be there for me for very specific things. And I was teaching one of my women's groups recently. And I said, use the people on your list for the things that they're talented in. And they kind of looked at me sideways like, what? And I said, yeah, use people for their strengths. And they're like, well, that's not like bad. I'm like, how's that bad? You you recognize what people have as, as their strength. And then you reach out to them for whatever those strengths are. And if you have a friend that's like, she's amazing for when, you know, you're having a rough day and you need an extra meal and you don't want to be cooking. And she's like, oh man, I'm totally on it. I'll just prepare double. We're good today. I'll take care of you. But she's not the friend that you call after you have a miscarriage, right? So, so use her where her strengths are. Right. And, you know, it, and I think sometimes we get this negative idea that like, well, that's using somebody. And I'm like, yeah, it is. And people use me for where my strengths are. You know, people don't call me to ask them how to fix their car, right? <laughs> I'm not that guy. Right. Um, and, and, and to be honest, if they want to bring out my inadequacies, they'll call me to, I'll say, hey, I'll hold a wrench for you. <laughs> I'll, I'll climb under the car with you, but I'm going to be dumbfounded. I'll search YouTube uh-huh. trying to find an answer. Use people for their strengths. And that's the thing with the list of 18. Not everybody on there needs to be uh, all-encompassing. Right. And I know that there's this fear of, oh, I'm using you. But when we look at it 
from the other way, what gifts and talents do I have that I can use to bless somebody else's life? And the other part of that, and I don't want to go into a lot of detail about that, but it, a person can also have boundaries. And I know that sometimes people call me for like therapy advice and I'll try to be helpful. But if it starts to cross the line as to like, dude, you really need to like be in a session, then, then I have some boundaries around that so that I don't walk away feeling like, oh, I was, I was just used, um, used up. So there's some boundaries and stuff that we could probably talk about at another time. But I'll, just noticing that all of us have gifts and talents and it's a joy to be able to share those gifts and talents with somebody else. It's wonderful if somebody calls and asks me for help that I can do something to help. I love that feeling. So, yeah. And I think, I think some of it comes from this, the more people we have in our support group, the more people we're vulnerable to, to hurt us. So right. I think sometimes we can kind of create this idealistic scenario where we're where we think man if i just had one best friend mm. if i had man if i could just find the right partner then i wouldn't i wouldn't uh i wouldn't have to risk and face so much rejection yeah. and i actually look at that and think kind of the opposite man if i put all my needs onto one person which one isn't realistic or healthy but if i put all my needs onto one person man i'm the most susceptible mm -hmm. right? Look at it like, man, if I put all my retirement on one stock, uh, I'm the most susceptible to failure. And or, devastation. Absolutely. So yeah. if I can diversify my support system and, and therefore also my attachments, I'm less susceptible to tragedy or loss I lose somebody and I do, I, I occasionally lose a person on my list of 18, whether they, they move away, whether there's a conflict that for some reason is unresolvable mm -hmm. uh, or they, they don't appreciate the boundaries that I'm asking to keep. And essentially I lose and, and I have, I've lost mm -hmm. people and I'm always having people there almost like I'm adding them to my list of 18 and mm -hmm. building them. so it's just a constant flow process in the, in that way. Right. I love that. Thank you. One of the things that I really loved that you started teaching me a couple of years ago was your, your connection hierarchy. So <laughs> it's open maybe you, and I know I flipped it around a little bit. You had it one way and well, I flipped it the other way, but, um, I like how, I mean, I, I like how you flip it. Sometimes I've actually used it. I'll use it the way you flipped it. Uh, the, the analogy sometimes I'm, I'm not totally perfect with. And so maybe you've got to, you know, you've got to hone that in for me. But so, yeah, I can jump into the hierarchy of connection. Yeah. So, well, yeah, go into it. All right. So how I realized that it works and it's really just about it really came down to just being about effectiveness or efficiency, uh, where I think the again, some of these things I gravitated to more naturally without realizing that, uh, that I was doing the more effective behaviors. But as I started working with clients early on, and I'm encouraging them to connect, and I'd say, hey, I want you to reach out to one friend this week and tell them what you have going on. And they would come back and I'd say, hey, did you reach out to that friend? And they'd be like, yes, I did. And I'd be like, super excited. I'd be like, sweet, like, how did it go? And they're like, oh, it was just kind of flat. And I'm like, what? Like, I'm confused. Tell me more about it. And, and what I started to learn was my idea of reaching out and connecting with a friend 
was often very maybe different than their idea. Mm. So then I started to realize that we, we have these different ways of reaching out. And, and perhaps the least effective way of reaching out that does provide some sense of connection is what we refer to as social media, right? If I, if I throw a post up on Facebook and I tell people, hey, I'm feeling kind of sad today, but you know, I have gratitude and God's with me or whatever cheesy post yeah. I put on Facebook, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I am putting it out there and I'm being a little vulnerable, but it's, it's kind of what I throw out and say, that's kind of like a shotgun blast, hoping you hit something. And <clears throat> so that would really be your lowest form of human connection is social media. You, you're not really targeting anybody specifically. You're, you're putting your need for connection at the whim of algorithms of who might be on, who might be seeing it, whether they give you a like or or maybe at best respond in a comment to your post. Mm -hmm. So any type of social media would be and so I typically tell people that's that's it's a terrible form of human connection. It's the nutritional value of popcorn. So well and on on that like I know that there's the that dopamine hit like you go, you post your thing on social media and then you go back to see if anybody liked it. Right. You know, and so it's a dopamine hit. So it can be almost addicting, but not fulfilling. Right. Yeah. There's, there's research that shows that it's very similar, similar to gambling where, mm -hmm. you know, it's, you, you put the money in, you, you pull the crank and it's like, oh, I might win. And then you get that rush of dopamine and then you're like, okay, I didn't, but maybe next, maybe the next one will win. And so, yeah, there are some uh, potential issues there. But so, yes, not not healthy doesn't really work. Your next level of connection uh, would probably uh, would be like a group text or a group email. And again, the issue you have there, it's, it's a bit more targeted uh, as far as I'm sending it out to five people, 10 people, 20 people, whatever it is that I'm choosing to do. But there's no clearly identified person that I'm specifically reaching to saying I have a need. And as far as being on the other end of a group text, it's really easy for me to read a group text and go, okay, you know what? Somebody else will respond. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, they're asking for help. They need help moving. I'm working late. I'm not even going to bother responding. I'm telling them I can't be there. Somebody else will respond and take care of it. I mean, I'm just making that up. But right. so it's really easy for, again, not a lot of social interaction to occur there. And then we've, we've risked it. We've put it out there. And when, no, when very few people respond, then we feel all the rejection. Mm -hmm. So I, I tell people your next level of, of depth on human connection. So the way that uh, you've explained it is, you know, like an ocean. Mm -hmm. And social media is like right on the surface. And then group or individual texts or group or texts or emails and then individual texts and emails and i always tell people you if you want to send out a group text write the text copy and paste it and then put the person's name mm -hmm. at the beginning of it so even if you send out the same text to five different people make it an individual text put their name in it uh maybe even personalize it just a little bit and then send the text right that's going to be much more effective than a group text, right? but even text messages. 
are editable, right? It's like a it's like a, a photoshopped picture. You can edit it. You can spend five minutes writing one line. Mm -hmm. So you're not getting as much authenticity, nor are you getting like an unedited response. Like the other person can spend half the day thinking about their response and, and polish it up just right and send it back to you. So you miss out on the authenticity, perhaps. Yeah, and the vulnerability. Absolutely. So then your next level of depth, and this is this is kind of the level of depth that I think is required, uh, really at a minimum for connection and vulnerability to start occurring. And this one was kind of new to me. In fact, I first tried it probably a year, year and a half ago, and I didn't even like it. Uh, but like there's a, a video messaging app uh, called Marco Polo, where you can record a message to somebody on the video. It records the video, the audio, and then you send it off to them. And what makes it nice is that um, our schedules don't have to line up and we can still have a conversation. Right. It loses some vulnerability because the person can watch it and we have no idea how they're responding to it. We have no idea what they're thinking or feeling. They can respond the next day after they've spent some time thinking about it, which not that any of that's bad, but it just loses some level of connection just by nature of, I'm going to send this out, wait for you to respond. Right. You and I use Marco Polo a lot with each other. And it it was a little weird using that at first because you're staring at yourself. I'm staring at myself as I'm videotaping it. Oh, I don't want to look at me. <laughs> uh, I was like, oh. so it was a little weird, um, but it gets better. And what I've loved about it is, uh, especially because a lot of my people on my list are therapists. We're always in session during the same time, so um, it's it's been nice to be able to at least reach out in a way where you can see my face, you can see hear my tone of my voice, my facial expression. So at least I can communicate that. And then you'll be able to get that at a time that's convenient to you, and then you'll respond. So I do like that version, but I agree there are much more effective ways. Right. That's almost like the least effective, but yet still provides uh, um, the nourishment needed to have a connection with a person. Right. Um, and where the vulnerability can really show through. Uh, so then slightly more effective or maybe even a lot more effective is a phone call, but obviously it requires schedules to line up. Uh, but with a phone call, you get tone of voice, you get real time response. And so if somebody says something that is, uh, maybe a little surprising or a little vulnerable, um, we're there with them in the moment. And so then the feedback is a little more genuine, a little more authentic, even if it's not exactly what we need. We uh, maybe we're needing a more empathetic response. We at least are getting uh, what's actually happening in the moment, and then we can work with that. Yeah. Better than a phone call. So your next step up would be uh, like a video chat, like a uh, not like the walkie-talkie Marco Polo style, but like FaceTime or Skype, mm -hmm. where you can actually get. It's, it's a phone call, but you can see the live video. So you can get some facial expressions. You can get some body language. Right. So even better than video chat would be uh, 
face-to-face connection. I don't. I don't think I'm skipping anything, but I might be. But I can't. But uh, but okay. So next, you get to face-to-face connection, and you're there live with the person. You get full body expression. You can see, you know, ab reaction, facial expressions, everything, right? And so obviously, when you're face-to-face with somebody, you're you're hopefully not distracted by other things that are going on around you, and so it's just a very immersive experience. Now. Interestingly enough, most people are like, well, that's like the best there is, right? Face to face. The truth is, even more vulnerable than face to face is face to face with physical touch. Right. And a lot of times, I don't think many people really think about that. Even a handshake there is a vulnerable experience. Uh, mm-hmm. A hand on the shoulder or a hug, right? Or you're sitting there talking to somebody. Uh, even if you're kind of joking around and talking and you kind of hit somebody's shoulder with your hand and, and like, oh, dude, no way, you know, and you hit him on the shoulder or you put your hand on his back or whatever. Um, all of those interactions create connection and increase vulnerability. So this is kind of the hierarchy. And then if you want to take it to the furthest level, uh, the highest level of human connection, which uh, from an from from my attachment based perspective, I tend to believe that this should uh, typically only be reserved to a partnership, a coupleship, and that is face to face with sexual touch. Right? There's nothing more vulnerable than a sexual experience than sexual touch, which is why it can also be nothing more damaging to a relationship than uh, inappropriate use of that or trauma. But so these are kind of your hierarchy there and. And you're looking to build a relationship. Uh, and when I'm when I'm first connecting with people, I will, without even thinking, it's hey, I don't know this person very well, so I'm not going to get as close to them physically. You know, um, I'm going to ask less vulnerable questions, right? And I'm going to slowly work a person through the vulnerability scale, depending on my need for connection with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to be able to also see how how vulnerable can they get. I had a guy the other day who I just happened to connect with on accident through a church thing, and we were texting back and forth, and he was having some really deep conversation. And I was like, you know what? This would be so much easier through Marco Polo. And so I said, hey, dude, download the Marco Polo app. And he basically was like, nah, dude, I, I don't like it. And I'm like, okay. But I'm like, okay, well, you just missed out on an opportunity to connect with me Mm-hmm. further right. right and it's okay well if that's all you're able to do that's all you're able to do but i i kind of started to develop this hierarchy and it's really kind of logical right as you think about it yeah but people don't want to to get vulnerable but yet we're lonely we want to connect and we don't want to be lonely but but we if we use in like inferior almost mo- uh, means of connecting, then the quality of our connection is going to be lower. Right. Yeah, I think people are definitely afraid of that that vulnerability. They're afraid of getting naked emotionally. Um, and Brene talks a lot about that with shame. Shame just you know it's our way of protecting ourselves. Shame is what distances ourselves, but that vulnerability is what we absolutely need to be connected, to actually feel the love and the support from another person. And I can't do that if I'm not willing to be real and honest and tell you I'm struggling and I need help. 
and you've done that for me so many times and i think i've done the same for you just we're able to say dude i'm not in a good place right now this is what i need and um i i use the analogy we talk about the love and belonging tank sometimes and and uh, when our love and belonging tank is empty, it needs to be filled. It absolutely needs to be filled. And it would be amazing if our neighbor just intuitively knew that my car was out of gas and came over and said, hey, can I have the car keys and let me go fill your car up with gas? That would be amazing. Would be yeah, like, I love that. so awesome. What an awesome neighbor. The reality is that's never going to happen. They're not going to do that. We have to go to the gas station, get our fuel for our car. We have to do that. And it's the same with these kind of connections. I, I, it would be amazing if somebody just knew that I needed support and a connection. It would be nice. I wouldn't have to do any work. But that's not the reality. We got to be vulnerable and say, hey, I'm empty right now. I could use a hug. I could use uh, just somebody to listen, whatever. Absolutely. I, I, I think about it all the time. Like, again, idealistic, maybe even fantasy is, man, it'd be great if I didn't have to buy food or ask uh, or make dinner if, if somebody every time I was hungry knew exactly what I needed nutritionally and just mm-hmm. provided a, a plate of food boy that that sounds <laughs> amazing right but magic doesn't exist <laughs> and so instead what we have to do is the hard work of dis- first discovering what our needs are uh, or discovering that we have a deficit or a need even if we don't know what it is, at least we can go to somebody and say, hey, I have a need coming up. I have no idea what it is. Can you help me? Yeah. So you you told me the other day, you're writing this stuff down somewhere. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, I am, I guess, in the very early stages of uh, probably compiling a book uh, on this. Uh, but uh, no idea what that's ultimately going to look like. I'm so excited. keep this posted, man. Sounds good. It's it's partly because of me going to the finding, uh, not the finding piece, the hold me tight with you and people. I was talking about attachment wounds all the time, and the people in that class are like, "Where can I read more about those attachment wounds?" And I'm like, "They're just in my head." And they're like, yeah, you got to write a book. You got okay. I'll go. So. You know, it is really funny. I think some of that has kind of is born out of that for me as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I have several people who are uh, probably on my list of 18 or even people who haven't been on my list of 18 who have said to me, you are my best friend. Mm. And in that moment, it's it's quite an honor to have somebody say that to me. Mm-hmm. And it, it's really good. And at the same time, I can't say it in return mm-hmm. because I can say to them, you know what? I'm so glad to hear that. I love your friendship as well. Yeah. But the truth is, I feel like, oh my goodness, we talk uh, once every few months and we don't have the history. Mm-hmm. And I'm your best friend. Like I'm almost shocked, sad, but I, but also compassionate and grateful that they see me for that. Yeah. It, it really helped me to realize, in fact, I was talking to one friend. So because of my wounds of wanting to be like accepted by men, there's always a group of men out there who I go, oh my goodness, those guys are real men. Those are amazing men. And I, and I always will kind of find and idealize certain men in that way. And I was talking to one of my buddies, one of my friends one time about this certain group of guys that we both knew. 
And I said, you know what? I'm really, I think I've come, I came to realize that that group of guys, the only time I'd ever see them together, they were really chummy. But then I realized, I don't even know if that sounds, if that's a real word, chummy. They were really yeah. connected. They seemed to have a lot of camaraderie. And, and then I came to realize that was the only time they were ever connected. And it mm. was the brief moments. And so I started to realize, goodness me, those guys that I always thought were these super tight-knit group and so close. And, man, they must get vulnerable and talk about deep things with each other. <laughs> this friend of mine says to me, he goes, you're crazy. Like, men don't typically do that. You're one of the very few people I can even open up to. And you feel like you don't fit in and belong with those guys. And you don't realize that they don't even have a connection. Mm -hmm. So I started to kind of look around and go, I tell myself this story that all these other people have these connections that I don't have. Mm -hmm. And I, and I realized I've been, I've, I've had to work so hard to get it and sometimes feel like I'm falling short because maybe I'm not getting what I think everybody else has. Right. I have no idea if that was way too much of a tangent. No, that was, it was beautiful. And I mean, you're really just identifying the shadows of shame that are talking to us and convincing us that there's, we're not doing it right or we're not getting it. But the truth is you were able to shine some light on that and you were able to clarify, Hey, I am. And I do, I get a lot of connection. Yeah. So, Thank you yep. for sharing that. Absolutely. Human connection works. And that's where I believe uh, peace comes from, uh, is in part from our connections with our fellow brothers and sisters, you know, friends. I, and yeah, I agree. When we, when we talk about the attachment wounds of loss, rejection, betrayal, the healing really comes from that connection. The opposite of loss is presence comfort the opposite of abandonment is someone being there with you the opposite of a neglect is someone paying attention to you so that's i agree with you that's where that peace comes from is i'm getting those needs that maybe i never got met when i was a kid or not met in a fulfilling way i'm finally learning how to do that as an adult and it's 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 a beautiful experience it's healing and i'm so grateful for it it's beautiful and it takes a lot of work Yes, it does. Absolutely. Well, Matt, thank you so much for spending time with me today. I appreciate you being with me. I, I am very grateful for your friendship. And, Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me. And hopefully uh, this is helpful. Yeah, man. Thank you. You've been listening to the Finding Peace podcast. If you loved the show or want to ask a question, let us know by going to TroyLLove.com. There, you can also learn about the Finding Peace 5-Day Challenge. Remember to subscribe to this podcast so you won't miss the next episode. And if you are listening on iTunes, please give us a 5-star rating. It helps other people find this podcast more easily. Thank you for spending part of your journey with us. Copyright Finding Peace Consulting.